When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And I'm so excited today to be talking to my guests because we're going to be talking about what is probably, anyhow, in my view, the most important thing to being successful in business, and that's to be a leader. Whether you own the business, whether you're just an employee, all of these various things, and, and also in your life, right? We need to be leaders. We don't want to be followers. That's no fun. Um, but please join me in welcoming Andrew Bryant to our program today. Welcome, Andrew. How are you? Um, I'm very well. Thank you, Deb. Thanks for having me on the show. Great. I love it. Well, let me tell people just a little bit about you, and then we will dive into this. So, as you can tell, Andrew is not one of our United States people, which I love being able to do this program um, with people from around the world, but English by birth, Australian by passport, Brazilian by wife, I love that, and living in Portugal after 17 years in Asia, Andrew Bryant is truly an international man. He is a world-recognized expert on self-leadership, and his fourth book, The New Leadership Playbook, Being Human Whilst Successfully Delivering Accelerated Results, is changing the way people think about leading in a post-pandemic world. Andrew has coached hundreds of leaders and leadership teams to become the best version of themselves and to scale their companies. <coughs> Excuse me. He has international experience with clients from Asia, Australasia, the United States, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Not only has Andrew worked across geographical locations and cultures, he has also transformed and developed leaders across industries, including airline, software and hardware companies, pharmaceutical, professional services, banking, finance, manufacturing, hospitality, and travel. Holy cow, I got tired just reading your bio. So again, Andrew, welcome. Well, thank you, Deb. You know, um, just listening to you uh, read that out, uh, I made a mistake in my fourth book. I, I used an Australian publisher, mm -hmm. and uh, they did convert the book into Australian English. I said, no, 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 leave it in American English because that's where my largest audience is. And so they they turned it back and the editors went through it. But they didn't spot that subtitle. They missed the whilst, whilst, <laughs> whilst, whilst. Now, you see, in English, there is a distinction between while and whilst. But in American English, you use while. And so um, you're not the first uh, podcast host to trip over that. And I realized if I, if I could do it again, I would have changed it to while. But there you go. But it catches <laughs> your attention, right? And sometimes as marketing people, that's what we want. Yeah, well, was it Seth that said, you know, it's better to be different than better? Right. So uh, I want to be that purple be cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can be different and better, that's the go. Yes, most yeah. definitely. 
Well, Andrew, what I always like to start the program with is finding out from my guests how they got to where they are today, because you certainly, you know, gone on a long journey, but tell us a little bit more about how it is that you discovered that this is your passion in life. Great question. I'm glad this is a long show because, as you say, it's a long journey. Mm-hmm. So we have to take you back to being born in England, um, mm-hmm. and I went to an English grammar school. That is, uh, they used to take a, a test around 11, and if, you, yeah, if you're fairly academically inclined, you got streamed. Mm-hmm. So I was doing quite well at sciences, and I thought about becoming a doctor. Mm-hmm. And I was on track for that until they merged my boys' grammar school with the girls' high school just before my A-levels. And I'll leave it to you and your listeners to wonder how I was distracted, but I was distracted and I didn't Mm -hmm. get the grades required to do medicine. Mm -hmm. But I did get in to do physiotherapy, which you would call physical therapy in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I did a couple of years working in hospitals, Mm -hmm. and then I did what most male physiotherapists do, is I pivoted into working with sports teams. Okay. And I worked with first division soccer clubs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. As we speak to this, uh, the American male football club is on its way home from the World Cup. Terribly yeah, sorry for well, you. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My one and only game I watched all year. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Americans are starting to really understand what soccer is now. So that that's great. Um, so I worked with first division soccer teams, Olympic athletes, mm-hmm. even, a, even a ballet company. Mm-hmm. And, and that was great. I got interested in in peak performance, not just physically, but psychologically. So remembering when I was doing this, it Mm -hmm. was the Mm mid-80s. And the mid-80s is before sports psychology or even positive psychology Mm -hmm. had really been coined and articulated and and studied. But I had the passion, the inclination, what's the difference that makes the difference? Mm -hmm. And, you know, together with other people, we started to talk about Mm -hmm. coaching the mind as well as the body. And this became, I mean, this is today, that's obvious, but mm-hmm. but back in the 80s, this was new. And so mm-hmm. it was, we were frontier looking at how to do that. And I studied everything from hypnosis to acupuncture to neurosemantics, everything I could, how, how do we talk to ourselves? What's the inner dialogue that we mm-hmm. have to be successful? I moved to Australia and did the same things. I was mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. I set up a chain of clinics and I started working with sports teams in Australia. Mm-hmm. And one day I get a phone call from a managing director of a company who said, you've helped my sports team win. Can you come and work with my management team? Because they suck. <laughs> I hope I can say suck. On, yeah, that on works. Air. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you never know. Cultural differences, right? So anyway, um, I went in with a blank sheet of paper. One of the things that physiotherapy had taught me is mm-hmm. Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, you, you get a, a consulting company; mm-hmm. they often want to give you their solution, right? I went in with this blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. I went, "I'm going to watch behavior," mm-hmm. because as a physiotherapist, I was trained to watch behavior. How does somebody run? How does somebody jump? How do they throw a ball? You get really good at observation, and you get good at observation in context. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody could can work really well in practice, but fail. At championship time, right. So I had that uh, I had that skill set, and looking at a management team, you know, sitting in the in in a room watching them have a meeting, mm-hmm. taught me so much about how the leader's style, how the power play was happening between individuals, who was stepping up, who wasn't, and I began to design a process. Mm-hmm. And I got some results. Now, of course, I had imposter syndrome, as everybody does when they mm-hmm. do a transition. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I don't have the right degree for this. Right. I had a couple mm-hmm. of degrees. Mm-hmm. I went off to do an MBA, as you do, uh, Mm -hmm. looking for legitimacy, Mm -hmm. and I ended up arguing with the the organizational psychology lecturer who was teaching something theoretical, and I said, well, that's not going to work in practice. Mm -hmm. And and we argued backwards and forwards, and he encouraged me, and then he said, well, you've got some great ideas. Why don't you go and write your own book? And Mm -hmm. the rest, as they say, is history. Mm -hmm. So I began to look at what it was that I felt was important. And, and the maxim is you can't lead others unless you first lead yourself. How, how do you lead yourself? Mm-hmm. So the first books that I wrote that that made a difference were on self-leadership, how mm-hmm. self-leadership enables you to be a more efficient, effective um, manager or leader from the inside mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Because in sport, there's an inner game of mindset mm-hmm. and there's the outer game of behavior and action. Mm-hmm. So that's what got me started. Um, I got successful at that, built a consulting company and came to the attention of Singapore Airlines. Um, 
And so I moved up to Singapore, which was Mm -hmm. my entry into Asia, worked putting the leadership and coaching program into an airline, which was a a huge education, Mm -hmm. also exposed me to Asia. And that was a great anchor client to have when somebody said, well, who do you work with? And you say, well, Singapore Airlines, and that was great. I don't know what the, you know, the appropriate um, American um, uh, corollary for that would be. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working. I mean, subsequently, I've worked with big American companies mm-hmm. like Microsoft. Or, right. So, but that opened doors, and I built a successful business mm-hmm. uh, across Asia, coaching, facilitating, and continue to write books. Mm-hmm. The fourth book, which you mentioned, the New Leadership Playbook, was actually commissioned by an American company. I was working for a disruptive software company mm-hmm. out of Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and I was coaching their managing director and. Uh, the chief people officer said, "Look, love what you've done for the for for our C- actually CEO and our executive leadership team. I want you to cascade that down through the organization. Can you write a book that our managers can use, like a playbook?" And I went, mm-hmm. "A playbook." Mm-hmm. And now we have the American football reference. Mm-hmm. And so I started to look, what are the plays that they needed? She gave me mm-hmm. some really great insights to the things they were struggling with. And I realized that they were conversations. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what we're going to talk about today really are the conversations Mm -hmm. that leaders need to have with their employees, with Mm -hmm. their followers, Mm -hmm. with their stakeholders, Mm -hmm. because that's what I talk about today. Mm -hmm. Paradoxically, I talk about a conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. I love it. You know, and and one of the the things I was thinking as you were talking about this is because you have worked in so many different cultures. Do you find that there are differences in leadership? You know, that I mean, obviously there's different styles just because of different cultures, but are there some fundamental things that are different and more importantly, fundamental that are the same? Well, the short answer to that is yes. Um, <laughs> well, we got so, an hour, so let's go longer. <laughs> well, well, firstly, well, let's well, let's look at so when we look at leadership, leadership is always a process. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things, and you haven't done it, so please don't do it, because the, the question that I kind of get asked and I choke over is, you know, give us a great leader. Give us an example of a great right. leader. And I go, well, yeah, you talk about that yeah. in your book. <laughs> yeah, leader, leader, leadership is always in context, mm-hmm. right? So leadership is a is a three-legged, you know, is an algorithm of three things, and a three-legged stool doesn't wobble. So you have the leader style, the follower's motivation and skills, mm-hmm. and the context or the environment. Right. So the, a story in the book is if you and I were at 40,000 feet on, a, on an airplane and the oxygen mask did fall from the ceiling, mm-hmm. if the captain comes out of the cockpit and says, ladies and gentlemen, clearly a bit of a problem, let's create some focus groups, get mm-hmm. some buy-in. and and it. <laughs> Yeah, let's study. You know, at this point, even the atheists are getting religion, right? Mm-hmm. So um, at this point, you want a very directive leadership style because the environment is volatile mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's actually a crisis. And and the people on the plane, the majority are not going to be able to fly a commercial airliner. Right. And they might be very motivated to fly it, but they have no skills. Mm-hmm. So clearly, an empowering consultative leadership style is wrong there. Mm-hmm. Now... If we go around the world, there are certain cultures that are much more participative. So mm-hmm. if you go to Japan or you go to Sweden, mm-hmm. all decisions are made collectively, mm. right? Now, Sweden's an interesting one because they individually, they have a very high level of autonomy and ownership, but they make decisions collectively. Mm-hmm. The Japanese, we know... Um, can be frustrating to Westerners that they take so long to make mm-hmm. a decision because everybody needs to be consulted. Mm-hmm. Now, in the United States, you know, somebody will take ownership and say, okay, I'm making the decision. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make the decision. And you have examples of people making the decision for everybody. Um, you know, at the time of us recording this, Elon Musk is yeah. causing waves <laughs> because, you know, he's he's got a very, you know, very direct He has start. his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has... And and so the question is, you know, does he have flexibility? I actually wrote a post, um, a little bit of self-promotion of the new leadership playbook, that, that Elon is not using the new leadership playbook. He's not engaging people. He's not getting by. And he just fired 50%. Now, 
that's his right to do as the business mm-hmm. owner. And right. I have my CEO clients who said, yeah, that makes a decision, fi- you know, that mm-hmm. makes a, makes sense financially. People were being overpaid. Mm-hmm. The management was not making the company profitable. He's coming in and clearing out the organization. Mm-hmm. I understand that. But he's also going to lose a lot of tacit IP from the organization. And, you know, it's great to, you know, streamline a company, but mm-hmm. you want to do firstly an assessment who do I need to keep? Because if you lose the good people but keep mm-hmm. the rubbish people, mm-hmm. that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And and he obviously saw that anyhow, you know, the, the reports are when he when he realized, oh, oh, he he did let go of some of the people that shouldn't have gone. And then he, of course, tried to hire them back. And in some cases, they said, sure, show me the money. And in other yeah. cases, they said, nope, I'm out the door. Um, you yeah. know, and and so yeah, if he had spent a month. I mean, you know, however long in in just doing some basic evaluations and talking to team leaders and, and things like that, a good portion of probably what has happened might have been averted. It might have been. Um, there was a book I read a long time ago by the uh, a U.S. Navy captain of um, the worst performing ship in the U.S. Navy. His mm-hmm. name was Captain Michael Abrashoff, and he wrote mm-hmm. a book called it's your ship. And you have to be very careful how you say that. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. it's your ship. And, you know, to summarize his book, he he basically took over the, uh, I think, the USS uh, Bennett, something, began with B. And he took over this ship and he, from his XO down to the guy that cleaned the galley, mm-hmm. he asked three questions. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you like about working on this ship? What don't you like about working on this ship? And what would you change if you could? Mm. And he then, you know, probably divided those up into, you know, um, quick and easy versus long and difficult. Mm -hmm. And he addressed the quick and easies and he got some wins and got the buy-in from his people. So the the ship became uh, much more efficient in a very short period of time and went from the worst performing to the best performing ship. By doing that assessment, by mm-hmm. by really approaching it from a human element mm-hmm. rather than just a numbers on a spreadsheet kind of uh, way of looking at it. Right. You know, and, and I think many times what we see happen is, and maybe this is the case with Elon, maybe not. I mean, you know, he's been successful, obviously. He's very successful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think in, in so many cases, we have someone who is in charge who doesn't have leadership skills. Um, you know, whether they get promoted, whether they buy the company, whether they start a company, I mean, you know, all of these various things. And so, you know, how do you, obviously you, you have to make the assessment, you know, when you go in and you say, okay, you know, what's, what's going on here? Because I think it, it, you know, is leadership learned? Is it innate? Is it a combination? Yeah, well, that again is a is another question that's tricky to answer. I would definitely say it is learned. I mean, if it's not learned and developed, I'm I'm out of a job. So, mm-hmm. right, have, you're you're in there helping them learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly, I have a cognitive bias. Look, there are clearly though, you know, we have a positive bias to more extrovert male leaders. Now, this is a completely, you know, uh, this takes us on a, a completely different topic. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the faculty of, of a few women in leadership programs mm-hmm. around the world because, uh, and and particularly in the West, you know, we have this bias for somebody who's a bit more charismatic, a bit more outgoing, mm-hmm. good storyteller. Mm-hmm. And we then have this cognitive bias. They're telling a great story. They've got a great vision. I'm going to follow that person. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody who is more caring, more reflective, um, um, which are, you know, tend to be more female characteristics, mm-hmm. stereotypically, um, we don't tend to give that as much weight. Mm-hmm. So the reality is we all have a leadership style and you mm-hmm. you just need to go to a school you know, a schoolyard, you know, a schoolyard playground, mm-hmm. and you will see some kids are leading the games. Mm-hmm. Some kids are leading, you know, the other kids to study or the other kids to play hooky, right? Um, so leadership can be seen quite early in mm-hmm. children. Whether that those skills then transfer into a work environment is is interesting. Some of the people that led, you know, led playing hooky don't survive very well in mm-hmm. a more rigid situation. So what we need to learn is self-awareness. And this is why my first couple of books are on Mm -hmm. self-leadership. 
is who am I? What's my narrative? And how? And self learning, which is, am I am I adjusting for that environment? Mm-hmm. Um, so some people have great leadership skill in the right context. They mm-hmm. fall um, into that space, and they've got the charisma or the drive, mm-hmm. and bang, off they go. Mm-hmm. But then they hit a wall, and we see this in organizations. People get quite high from being great at selling or great at mm-hmm. finance or great at marketing, so they get promoted, they get promoted mm-hmm. again. And there was a great book called The Leadership Pipeline that would said, you know, you you go, you, you go from leading yourself, you go mm-hmm. to leading others, then you go to leading others who lead others, mm-hmm. and then you're at the strategic position. At some point, there has to be a learning. Mm-hmm. And I've coached a lot of people around the world who've come to me privately, not through their organization. Mm-hmm. So a lot of coaching is sponsored by the company. Mm-hmm. But people have come to me and said, hey, Andrew, can I pay you myself? Mm-hmm. Because I'm being passed over for promotion. Ah. I've got all this way up the ladder. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got, you know, I did the undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. I did the master's degree. Mm-hmm. I did every course mm-hmm. I could. I've delivered on my my results and I'm getting passed over, mm-hmm. and people who I consider less competent are making it all the way to the C-suite. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, in some cases we've all felt like that. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. And and the interesting thing is the thing that we're missing is is often not well. It's not taught at university, mm-hmm. and it's not even particularly well articulated. Mm-hmm. It is the self leadership because the self leadership allows us to move into executive presence. Mm-hmm which I would define as the ability to project gravitas and confidence under pressure. Mm-hmm. And then once you've developed that, you can develop influence capital, which is getting buy-in mm-hmm. so that you can leverage. And, and leaders are influential. Mm-hmm. Leadership is influence. It's getting people to say yes to your idea or mm-hmm. to your actions. And so people need to transcend their their strength and open themselves up to a new learning. How do I... Um, here's a way of describing it. Leadership is a process of influence uh, to maximize people's um, competency towards a group goal. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we get people towards? And you can't do it off your own strength. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people hit a wall because they go, well, "If I just double down, if I just try mm-hmm. harder, then it will work." And right. actually, it's kind of a soft touch that you then mm-hmm. have to unlearn um, mm-hmm. your hard skills and, and learn a soft touch. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, one of the things that we've seen now, I've, I've been home office for 20 years. Um, and, uh, but so many people are still, you know, still home officing because of the pandemic. It's worldwide, you know, obviously here a lot in the United States, but it, one of the things that I have, have started seeing many people talking about is the fact that, because they don't have that in-person contact, they're getting passed over for promotions and things. So they're not there to toot their own horn. They're not there to, to, to say, hey, Andrew, what'd you think about the soccer game yesterday? You know, all of those various things that might get somebody noticed. So how do we do some of those things in, in this post-pandemic world? Well, a personal brand and influence are not necessarily about being face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I actually think you need to reframe this a little bit because the pandemic has created a great equalizer that mm-hmm. you can get on a Zoom call with the CEO mm-hmm. or the CMO or COO, CTO, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually get on those calls and you can overcome geography. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember working with Microsoft in Asia and if if an idea had not come from head office, it didn't have the same weight, mm-hmm. right? And I remember developing some programs in Asia that we were pushing back mm-hmm. to, to head office. And then we went, well, it didn't get invented here. Whereas now um, talent is all over the world. You've got mm-hmm. access to it and you can bypass the gatekeepers a lot more. Mm-hmm. So you can still publish your thought leadership. You know, mm-hmm. um, LinkedIn is, is a huge platform for you know, writing an article um, and then circulating that article, mm-hmm. liking your boss's article, commenting on right. your boss's mm-hmm. um, All of those things are, are much more, you know, if you're sitting at home, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things carry more weight now than mm-hmm. necessarily face-to-face. Right. So I would reframe it not as a negative, but as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my camera went blurry all of a sudden. I guess I'm just blurry today. Um, there, <laughs> I'm back. Uh, but, you know, I, I think 
it's it's also now that we've kind of learned how to do Zoom and whatever technology your business is using, I think that's helping because initially I think people thought you do business, you don't do anything else. Um, I was talking with someone who is what I would consider a very effective leader who always starts and has the first five, 10 minutes, and it's required that you're there of the idle chit chat, you know, where everybody's just doing their catching up. Well, how'd you do over the weekend? All of those things that we do when we're in an office, getting a cup of coffee or popping into somebody's office, all of those things. And as I said, it's required, you know, because initially people went, oh, I'll just skip those first 10 minutes and come. No, no, you have to be there for it. And people like that. They were getting back into that kind of personal interaction with, with people. Yeah. So back to that subtitle of my book, which is mm-hmm. you know, um, Being Human Whilst. While successfully successfully delivering accelerator results. Look, if you don't deliver results, your tenure within the organization is limited. Right. But if Mm -hmm. you aren't human engaged people, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get those results. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your tenure in the organization is going to be limited. Mm -hmm. The early stages of the pandemic, I was on a coaching call with a CEO who was figuratively in the fetal position. Um, uh, because, you know, his whole runway of his plan for the year had just been blown up. Mm-hmm. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, you know, it's it's about my plans and what I was going to achieve. And I said, no, it's not. It's, you know, you're, you're the CEO. You, you, you need to reach out to your people. Mm-hmm. And so he did that. He pivoted mm-hmm. and he got on the phone. And he got on Zoom calls with people and said, how are you going? Mm-hmm. How's the family? Mm-hmm. What can we do to support? And that mm-hmm. company um, had a back office in India, and they were se- sending <clears throat> oxygen machines, the <clears throat> the respirators, to people that then <clears throat> could be used for families. Now, imagine the buy-in and the loyalty that that company got. So as soon as things started to open up, they had three record quarters. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, it it feels idle chit chat feels slow, and yet it is so important. It's the glue that binds us together, mm-hmm. um, and. You can actually have focused. I I have a um I, I use Calendly as a as a scheduling mm-hmm. tool, and there are many out there. Mm-hmm. And I have a scheduling set up for thirty minute virtual coffee. Mm-hmm. And any anybody that I connect with, um, in fact, oh, I have an electronic business card which has got an RFID chip. When mm-hmm. I tap it on somebody's phone, they they don't just get my phone number, my WhatsApp, my website. They actually have got access to me for a thirty minute ah. um, coffee. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, not very few people use it. They mm-hmm. put, people don't notice it. But when I say, "Hey, well, let's just have a virtual coffee," mm-hmm. and I save so much time getting the car, driving, parking, mm-hmm. going in, putting shoes on, like I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's my preference for first meeting now because if I got to get in the car, drive in, mm-hmm. park the car, go have a coffee, mm-hmm. it might be a good meeting, it might not, but it's usually a minimum. An hour seems like the minimum. Whereas mm-hmm. a thirty-minute virtual coffee lets me know, mm-hmm. hey, there's some chemistry here, mm-hmm. there's some shared ideas. Mm-hmm. Let's now move to an in-person meeting, and I will put my pants on and my mm-hmm. shoes on and and go in and make it worthwhile. So I think we need to just change change our mindset around mm-hmm. that and. Uh, in fact, the whole way that companies come together at the, the end of the new leadership playbook, I talk about the future of work and say, you know, the working in a cubicle, if you're a white-collar worker, is just pointless. You're not the most efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, coming together, virtual spaces, real um, uh, working spaces where organisations are hiring, you know, the, we work, you know, we're before their time in some ways, shape, mm-hmm. you know, hiring we work office and then having designated facilitation time where people mm-hmm. are all coming together to do creative brainstorming right. and you've got somebody who's facilitating mm-hmm. the best everybody mm-hmm. being in the best state being creative that's much more productive right. than mm-hmm. somebody leaning over your mm-hmm. your cubicle right poking at your computer screen all those things um, you know, and, and I, one of the other things that I saw some companies do, my husband's company does this, does this, um, during the pandemic, obviously when you could not go out and about, they didn't, um, here in Georgia, things opened up really quickly. Um, but the company realized that it was kind of those extra things. And so as soon as possible, they started having their volunteer days again, um, where, you know, a team, a department, whoever, would would do and it was an outside thing you know uh 
they they uh, did food kitchen. They did one of the times uh, they went to a veteran's house whose yard had just gotten so overrun with weeds. He was not able to take care of it. And and he was he was about to be evicted um, just because of that. And so they went and they cleaned his property. They painted. They did all sorts of things. And so doing those what you know we fondly call team building exercises was a great way for them to reconnect. And I'm sure you know there was a little bit of business talk in there, but it was back to that interpersonal type of of communication and, and things like that. And I just I love that. I thought that was such a great idea to be doing. Yeah, I, I I share a little bit of a case study in the book, but I'm going to give you the the full version here. When I was work, when I was living in Singapore, mm-hmm. I got a call from a global bank, and they said, Andrew, we'd like you to come in and talk about you know leadership development. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, new client, you know, mm-hmm. global. No, this is this is uh, one of my kids' university. Yeah, you, you went ka-ching. Mm-hmm. Ka-ching. <laughs> no, that's the way to say it, right? Yeah, there but I was pretty. No I've, I've really got it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Okay, ka-ching. So anyway, off I go for the meeting and they say, you know, um, actually this is a bit different. And I said, how is it different? They said, we're not interested in you um, working with our directors. Um, We've partnered with a charity for at-risk and disadvantaged teenagers, but we're using our managers as mentors and the program is failing because we've, you know, we kind of got outward bound people and the kids are not paying attention and their mentors are not able to connect with the kids. Right. We thought you would be the perfect person. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for the faith. And I had that uh, that cognitive bias, you know, how hard could it be, right? You know, I've got teenagers. Well, it was a little bit harder than I thought. Mm-hmm. The first session, you know, the kids were looking at the floor, the mentors were looking at the floor. But thankfully, I've been doing this for, well, at that point, by 20 years, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very comfortable in front of an audience. I know mm-hmm. how to pivot on a dime, as you would say in the US. Mm-hmm. And so I started telling more stories. I played some more games with the kids. Mm-hmm. And then I pulled the mentors aside and they said, well, you know, you need to, this is what you need to do to connect with them. Anyway, mm-hmm. the program ran for about six sessions. And at the end, it was amazing. These kids had gone from looking at the floor to being able to give a, a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a two-minute speech. And they they told about their vulnerability. And mm-hmm. frankly, I cried. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, the next year I get a phone call from this bank and they said, hey, Andrew, you know, we'd like to do 10 sessions this year. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I'm I'm really busy. And they said, um, well, we'll pay your full fee. And I said, okay, I'm a little less yes, busy. Yes, yes, I can do this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I said, but I'm curious, you know, that's a significant investment. Um, how come? And they said, well, we get a credit for uh, corporate social responsibility. We get a tax break from that. We've got a ton of positive PR, which is worth a fortune to us. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, the managers that you helped to connect with the kids, when they came back to work, they were better managers and every single one of them has been promoted. Mm -hmm. It's been our best leadership program Mm -hmm. to date. Mm -hmm. Now, isn't that a powerful message that Mm -hmm. when we take the focus off ourselves, Mm -hmm. when we have the attitude of gratitude, as it were, Mm -hmm. then we develop ourselves. So Mm -hmm. uh, soup kitchen, cleaning up a veteran's yard, Mm -hmm. um, we become leaders not when we're looking for the power ourselves, mm-hmm. but when we're serving our constituents. Right. right. You know, and, and it really is the, the best leaders are raising other people up. Um, you know, you talk in your book about the difference between working for shareholders and working yeah. for stakeholders, because, of course, stakeholders gets everybody under that umbrella. Um, you know, we we all joke. We have the the saying here in the states. You know, happy happy wife, happy life. You know, it's it's the same that, thing. I think, that's, I think I think that's universal. It's well, it should be right. You know, and and I'm sure your wife would agree with that. Um, that you know, when we have happy employees, that's what's really going to trickle out, and maybe not trickle. I mean, it might you know be a, a big flow. To to really make sure that everybody is happy, um, you know, because it's it does it starts you know metaphorically at home. Okay, I, can I agree and give a distinction to that? Sure. Um, because happiness is a is 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 very you hard can't to measure me. that. Mm-hmm. No, and actually, it's it's interesting. Um, a friend of mine did his PhD on this, and he really struggled around it. And the research was very uh, ambiguous. It, it didn't show that happy uh, employees were more productive, mm. but it did find that more mm-hmm. engaged employees. Now, you uh, might think that happiness mm-hmm. 
and engagement are interchangeable, but they're not necessarily Mm -hmm. because sometimes we get really productive when we're frustrated mm-hmm. about something, right? I don't know about you. You know, sometimes like, something I'm gonna fix a this. <laughs> gotta fix this. And there's, you know, the great story about Uber. Uber was not started by two people who were passionate about transportation. Mm-hmm. It was started by two people who were massively frustrated that they mm-hmm. came out of a conference in Paris and they couldn't get a cab. Mm-hmm. And I went, how hard could it be? Mm-hmm. And then they they worked very hard at it. So um, we as human beings are meaning-making machines. Mm-hmm. We make meaning out of things, mm-hmm. right? It, and if we don't feel like our work has meaning and significance, then we're not going to give it our best. Mm-hmm. So I think we are happier when we're engaged, and I mm-hmm. think that the, there's a corollary there. But but it's all about getting your teeth into something, feeling that ownership and the buy-in. Mm-hmm. And a lot that I talk about in the book, self-leadership is all about personal responsibility, mm-hmm. personal, personal ownership, and the boundaries around accountability. Mm-hmm. I believe, and it's you know, I've talked to a lot of people around this, that we all got a, a lick of the ice cream, as we, as we'd say in Australia. Um, once you give somebody a lick of the ice cream, you've got to fight mm-hmm. them to get it back, right? Mm-hmm. We all got a lick of the ice cream around our own ownership of our time and our productivity. When am I at best? Mm-hmm. Right? As a writer, I get up in the morning before my wife, I make myself a coffee, and I stay in my pajamas, and I do a good hour's worth of writing mm-hmm. um, before she turns up and says, hey, you're not going to have a shower. And I go, okay, now I'll have a okay, shower. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But, but I know that I've got an hour's worth of amazing mm-hmm. creativity in my pajamas. If I mm-hmm. if I change my state and have the shower, have a shave, I'm in a different state. Right. So I know my where my sweet spots of productivity mm-hmm. are, and there's nobody leaning over my shoulder to tell me I can't turn up in pajamas. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people got a taste of that. Women who were able to manage their their children mm-hmm. and then, you know, when the kids were asleep, be able to do their focused creativity mm-hmm. time. And because we now have asynchronous as well as synchronous work using the mm-hmm. tools like Slack or mm-hmm. Teams or, or Yammer or whatever people are mm-hmm. doing, then people have much more ownership of their own productivity. Right. Yeah, I think that was probably one of the, the biggest and best things that came out of the pandemic was when those borders went away, you know, and, and they would say, you know what, hey, Andrew, you work better at 11 o'clock at night than at 7 a.m. As long as you get the work done, cool. Um, you know, clearly there still has to be some structure and, and there are certainly people who work better with more structure. They still need to be told, you know, we we want you there eight to five, you know, whatever, but that's where a good leader figures that out and, and knows, okay. You know, and, and not only that knows, okay, this is how I best communicate with them. They like text messages. They like voice messages. They, they like, you know, a quick little video, all of those things to, and which is, Obviously, more work, um, but that's where the leader goes. It's worth it. Well, and this is why in in the the leadership playbook or the new leadership playbook, there mm-hmm. are twelve conversations, mm-hmm. and the why conversation, why this piece of work is important, so people mm-hmm. are engaged, mm-hmm. and then the feedback, the monitoring mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. And because it's a conversation, because you're not just broadcasting. Here's what mm-hmm. I want, and you're having a conversation then you're discovering those communication preferences. And again, I might, you know, I might challenge you about whether it is more work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Spending some time, getting some clarification around Mm -hmm. the best way to communicate. It's going to work better in the long run. It is. Well, don't the U.S. Navy SEALs have a maxim, Mm -hmm. uh, slow is smooth, smooth is is fast, Mm -hmm. right? You know, slowly Mm -hmm. do your preparation and then you can go fast. and a lot of the research has shown even after two years of the pandemic, leaders are still much more comfortable broadcasting than they are having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, on, on the online medium, um, I, I spoke to somebody whose research showed that only 8% of leaders are dialoguing on the internal um, software platforms like mm-hmm. Yammer or Teams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're saying, here's what we're going to do, mm-hmm. rather than engaging people and finding what are their needs. So the, the conversation is the key to leadership and, and listening and responding appropriately to move everybody towards the achievement of mm-hmm. group goals or objectives. Right. You know, and, and it is about really, as we said, figuring out what works best for each person, um, you know, and, and, and we do that in an office, but we tend to 
kind of put our thumb down on it even more. You know, I, I told some, you know, I've, I've told multiple people, you know, the poor managers, not leaders, managers who were the micromanagers who all of a sudden didn't have the people that they could reach out and touch. Oh, their poor little heads just exploded. Um, but that was also an opportunity, obviously, for them to learn to lead, um, you know, and, and to really go, okay, I can't see what they're doing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to monitor their keystrokes, right? We heard about that at the very start of the pandemic where companies were trying to figure that out. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's where they're going to put their three-year-old in front of the keyboard and just have them yammering away on it. Um, but, you know, the, the old monkey can write a book type of thing, right? Um, and it, so it, it was, the the pandemic definitely forced people in many cases to learn and to change their styles. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we could take this even to brain chemistry, right? We we all know about the dopamine hit, mm-hmm. right? So micromanaging gives you a dopamine hit. Right. Oh, yeah. When you got to be that little power person, wee! Yeah. Yeah. I've led um, volunteer organizations, mm-hmm. and you you really know that, that's, that you are leading. If you can get volunteers to be productive mm-hmm. right? because you don't when, have when the, people aren't paid to do it <laughs> yeah when when you don't have the power to say you know do it or you're fired mm-hmm. you really have to tap into the why the objective mm-hmm. um and again that that's a conversation with the team saying okay what's what's the objective that would be a stretch for you what's your areas of strength mm-hmm. and and in the book i i i address the issue of talent mm-hmm. um, and strengths. And um, there's a great little acronym in the book, which is a COW, um, which is um, capacity, opportunity, and willingness, right? Mm. So does somebody have the capacity mm-hmm. to do the work, mm-hmm. right? So there's no point asking somebody to do the job mm-hmm. if, if they, they can't do it. They, they're right. not trained mm-hmm. to do that, right? You, you, you don't, you know, you don't want your seven-year-old um, doing brain surgery, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, they don't, they don't have, um, and they shouldn't have the opportunity to do that. They might have the willingness to do right. brain They're surgery. They're going to think, oh, cool. <laughs> so, so as, as, as leaders and managers of, um, what in organizations they call talent, but actually it's, it's people with, with strengths, mm-hmm. right? Because true talent is absolutely rare. I mean, my, my name is Andrew Bryant. And of course, um, uh, Kobe Bryant, you know, had a talent yes. for mm-hmm. basketball, which I certainly don't have. And so no amount of opportunity or willingness on my part would get me into an NBA team. Mm-hmm. However, you know, there's a, a wonderful movie that, uh, called Rudy about an individual, mm-hmm. you know, who um, certainly had the willingness but didn't have the, the bulk, the size to play. Mm-hmm. And yet they gave him an opportunity in the final game and he scored. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful, uplifting movie. If you've not mm-hmm. seen Rudy, I think many people of my generation would have seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can diagnose. And a lot of the tools that I put in the book is your ability to diagnose, why am I not getting the results? Mm-hmm. Right. Because as, as I said, it's all about delivering accelerated results. Mm-hmm. Now, the first place to look if I'm not getting results is the mirror. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the formula is clear expectations mm-hmm. times mindset and motivations times right behavior equals results. Mm-hmm. So more often than not, as managers and leaders, we have not set the clear expectations. Right. It was clear in our head what mm-hmm. we wanted, mm-hmm. but we had not had the conversation, mm-hmm. dialogued, so that our clear expectation was brought in, so mm-hmm. mindset and motivation mm-hmm. from the people we're leading, and we'd not corrected their behaviors. Now, corrected or instructed. Mm-hmm. The one minute, the one minute manager, of course, by uh, Ken Blanchard. Um, you'd say, you know, you find the right behavior, and you have a one minute conversation. Hey, that's what's working, mm-hmm. right? So, the ability to observe behavior, even remotely observe behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, ask the question. Hey, how did you go about, you know, writing this report? Mm-hmm. What was your process? Right. You know, okay, that's interesting that you went that way. Have you tried some other things, right? Mm-hmm. What else could you try? So, you know, the last conversation is coaching, but before you can coach, 
you had to set the clear expectations mm-hmm. up front. You had to make sure you got buy-in. Mm-hmm. You had to make sure that you'd set up an environment where they were motivated. And you need to be able to know what behaviors were being mm-hmm. engaged in and did they give results. So buy a mirror. If you're not getting results, take a look in that. Mm-hmm. You might be the problem. And then track. Mm-hmm. Where did it where did it fail? Right? I had this brilliant idea, but my people didn't execute on that. Mm-hmm. Why not? And they didn't read my mind. It. What do you mean? <laughs> I know that that's a you know that's a huge a huge surprise. And um, we, I mean, I've caught myself getting frustrated. But mm-hmm. wasn't it freaking obvious? But clearly, it wasn't mm-hmm. because somebody who you know mm-hmm. obviously is not unintelligent didn't get it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and and it is you know my background is communication, and that's where you know I see so many. CEOs, C level, C what you know, even if it's just a, a manager, where they don't excel. Um, because we do, we always assume that, well, they know what I meant. Um, you know, and, and just getting down and, and talking to people really makes such a difference. Um, I've shared this on the, the podcast before that I, I worked for this uh, wonderful CEO who for a long time, now we were in a 17-story building. And of course, the 17th story that was the CEO level. Um, you know, all the C levels were up there. And, you know, now the elevators all went up there and you could get up there. It wasn't like it needed the special key or anything silly like that. But nobody went up there. You know, why would you? You know, and and but when they started coming down, and seeing people, it was amazing. And, you know, and, and it was a variety of people who encouraged them to do this. But I remember, you know, we were in cubicle land and, and you had the walls that were about five feet tall. And he was a six foot tall person. So you could see him moving throughout. Um, and the first month or so when he would come down and just kind of wander, scared everybody half to death. Why is he here? What's he looking for? Oh, my gosh, he's coming to fire me. Um, but when they learned he was there to actually just see how things were going and he'd stop and he'd talk to people might not know your name, but he still would stop and talk. And, and one of the things that he absolutely loved to do was to go to the mail room and, and talk with them because he said they talked to the admins who talked to everybody else every single day. And so they were the ones who really knew what the heck was going on in that company. And he would make it a practice to about once a week or so, go down and talk to them. Um, you know, and, and once everybody got over the fact that, oh my gosh, he's wandering the floors, what's going on? It really did work well. Sometimes he talked to nobody, but you knew he was there and you knew that you could ask him a question. I mean, you know, he was very open to that. You could stop him and say, hey, Steve, what's going on? Um, you know, and, and so... That that level of communication was just incredible. Um, but it, I tell you, he was very uncomfortable with it. That was not his leadership and management style. He did not like that. But he learned that that was the best way to, to serve his employees. No, I mean, that's a great example of management by walking around. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you mentioned communication. My work in self-leadership, I often look at the, the inner narrative as well mm-hmm. as the out. Right. Outer narrative. Mm-hmm. And I was coaching a PMO of one of uh, America's largest food chains. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the time I checked was about 12th largest with 3,000 mm-hmm. stores. Mm-hmm. And the project management office works across the entire organization. Mm-hmm. And this guy was firefighting, which is something that it the blocks real leadership. If you're running from fi- fire to fire, mm-hmm. you can't be strategic and you can't use your influence right. capital. And I said, well, what's, what's, what's your narrative around what you do? He said, well, we're the connective tissue that holds everything together. And I said, well, that's, that's a horrible narrative. I've, what does that I mean? <laughs> well, I studied medicine and you had to cut yeah. through the connective mm-hmm. tissue to get the muscles. I said, you need a better metaphor. That one sucks. Mm-hmm. And now I know I can say sucks. Yes. I'm going to use uh-huh. it. Once. Um, and he said, well, what should I use? And I said, I could give you a metaphor, but I want you to go away and think about it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And he went away, came back the next week, and he went through the various military police metaphors. But he came back, he said, we're the conductors. We make sure all the different parts mm-hmm. of the orchestra mm-hmm. come in harmony. Mm-hmm. And I'm the chief conductor. And he went from being, you know, firefighting, 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 mm-hmm to being asked to chair the C-level meeting every week because now he was conducting everything and he went from obscurity to influence within his organisation mm-hmm. 
Bingo. Mm -hmm. An example many years ago of somebody whose narrative was terrible for engagement was an international lawyer who had missed out on becoming an equity partner. Now, that would be worth a million pounds a year Mm -hmm. guaranteed income. Why did he miss out? Because he was referring to his senior associates as units of production. Now that, <laughs> that goes over well. <laughs> yes. Well, and and so that was that cost him a large amount of money because he didn't get promoted to equity partner. Mm-hmm. But imagine what it was costing the company. What that narrative, you know, those associates were turning over, joining other firms, mm-hmm. the cost of acquiring an associate, training an associate. So this is why he couldn't make it to the equivalent of C-suite mm-hmm. in, in in a law firm. Mm-hmm. And so I helped him to change his inner narrative. Mm-hmm. and see how he considered his people mm-hmm. and what his role was. So, yes, there's the external communication. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the, the transformation happens when leaders change their inner narrative mm-hmm. and to, you know, I'm the boss, you should follow me, to, mm-hmm. hey, I'm a, you know, maybe the, the mm-hmm. metaphor is I'm a catalyst. Mm-hmm. You know, I make sure, you know, all the chemicals mm-hmm. you know, connect. It right. doesn't matter mm-hmm. as long as it's effective mm-hmm. for you. Right. You know, and, and obviously we see that in sports um, and football, probably being one of the, the, the most prominent where you've got the quarterback. You know, if the yeah. quarterback isn't leading, then nothing's going to take place. Um, you know, and, and clearly we see good quarterbacks and bad quarterbacks. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm I am from Colorado. So, you know, I grew up with John Elway. And then transition that into Peyton Manning, right? You know, and and uh, I've been to his. All I can say is I've been to his restaurant in uh, in Denver. Oh, you've you've had you've been to Elway's. Yep, yep. Um, and or you know, people now say, oh, we bought cars from there. But um, you know, they had different styles, but especially Peyton Manning was very much into uh, you know the the team, um, you know, and and really making sure that everyone felt valued. I remember, you know, hearing uh, we had already moved to Atlanta when he became the quarterback, but, you know, still very well connected with folks out there. And I remember hearing a story that when he first moved to Denver from Indianapolis, he um, was living at the the, the corporate headquarters, um, you know, the, the team facility. It just, you know, it, his wife still had their kids in school, blah, 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 you know, and, and so he was just living there and it just made it easier than get an apartment and all that. And one of the things that he had them do was make a notebook that had the picture and a bio and all sorts of information on every single employee, any person who got a paycheck for them. And, and he said, you know, he wants to know that he can walk in and talk to the general manager and the person cleaning the floors and, and treat them the same. And, you know, and he said, more importantly, that person cleaning the floors might actually be the person who, who knows what we should be doing. Uh, you know, and, and he very much was, was that style of leader. And, and it clearly showed, you know, with the fact that he was very successful. Yeah. Well, I worked for the CEO of a company called DSO National Laboratories who build weapon systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, the CEO said, nobody has a monopoly on a good idea. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a great narrative because it meant that the new grad could have an idea that somebody had been working on a project for twenty years to solve something may just have a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it's more likely that the guy's been doing it for twenty years um, has some background, mm-hmm. but sometimes just you know the fresh. Um, I mentioned that I worked with with Singapore Airlines. And it was my first big client in Asia, and I traveled around the world with uh, with one of their VPs. Um, going to the various mm-hmm. um, locations and, and training the staff. And she would tell the story about the time she turned up to the lounge. And you know how they have the cutout of the hostess out of, mm-hmm. you know, all the various lounges have it, it, different airlines have the same thing. Mm-hmm. In Singapore Airlines, they have an iconic hostess wearing the kabaya, the, the traditional dress. Mm-hmm. And the the cardboard cutout had obviously fallen over at some point. And you know what cardboard's like when it folds. Uh-huh. And so... The hostess's neck had been oh no <laughs> had been broken mm-hmm. and then repaired with sticky tape, right? Mm-hmm. And they turned up, you know, this this VP had turned up to this office and you know had a, a conniption because what what is that? What's that narrative? Mm-hmm. You know, planes are held. You know, if I, yeah, if we're holding everything together with duct tape. 
everything's held together with duct tape. And she's like, yeah, can you not see that? So sometimes we we need to see things with a fresh pair of eyes. I love getting reverse mentoring. I have a 17-year-old son and he I'm reworking my website, selfleadership.com, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing. And he's uh, he took a look at that and he said it sucks because he looked at it from a 17-year-old and he has a you know he has like all seventeen year olds a little bit of a short attention span. He said mm-hmm. oh, it takes you too long to get to the point. Mm-hmm. You right. need to move this up here. Mm-hmm. You need to do this. Mm-hmm. This video is is you know it's more than a minute. It has to go. And it was great getting the reverse mentoring from my seventeen year old son. As much as it hurt to be told, right. you know my life's work sucked, but he, it was I paid attention mm-hmm. because nobody has a monopoly on a good idea. Right. You know, and and I mean just the fact that you asked him and then valued his opinion. That was so good for him. I mean, you know, and, and I think that's the other thing that so many times people forget is really doesn't take a lot to raise someone else up, um, you know, and and to to be that mentor, to be that coach. You know, it would have been easy for you to have, you know, first of all, not even asked him. But more yeah. importantly, if you had said, well, pff, that's a stupid idea. You don't know anything. He, he yeah. never would have helped uh, you again. Um, no, you know, and, and, but yeah, I mean, it's, it really doesn't take much to, to add value to somebody. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we see true leaders do is they show respect and they make other people feel valued. Oh, I couldn't agree more. No, I use in my keynote speeches, which I do around the world, I use my kids as, as examples. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic, I was separated from my, my daughter and uh, so we stayed connected by playing Minecraft together. Mm-hmm. And because instead of saying, you know, how's your day? Yeah, mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, we play together and, and it created a conversation, meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I don't know whether you understand Minecraft, but I needed my armor enchanted. And I said, hey, can you, can you enchant this armor for me? Mm-hmm. And she said, I could, but then you wouldn't learn anything. Ah. And I'm like, I was so proud because she sat through some of my mm-hmm. speeches and lectures and she knows all about ownership mm-hmm. and self-leadership and I just got a dose of it back from my own daughter. So, you know, by your fruit shall you be known as it mm-hmm. is. And um, so uh, my, my kids have picked up on the messages, mm-hmm. so I'm a proud dad. I love it. You know, and really, is there anything better? Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, well, Andrew, oh my gosh, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I would love to chat with you again. I would love to talk about the difference between men and women um, and leadership styles and, and things like that and how things are changing for both. Um, you know, I think when men embrace kind of the empathy side, you know, and women embrace the hmm, let's be a little bossy, one of the B words side, you know, it's, it, you know, and so I'd love to, to have you on again to, to talk about that. But until then, you know, tell people you mentioned your website is selfleadership.com, right? Yes, selfleadership.com. Um, but tell us a little bit more specifically about what the services are that you provide. Okay. So, you know, my job is helping people to be the best version of themselves. And typically that's at work. Mm-hmm. And I do that through conference speaking. So if you're mm-hmm. booking a conference and you're looking for speaker, reach out. Um, I do it through my box. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do it through one-to-one and one-to-many coaching. So all of that's on the site. Scroll mm-hmm. down. You'll find the thing that's most interested to you. But I'd highly recommend that you do get a copy of the new leadership playbook, mm-hmm. not because it's going to make me rich, but because the feedback is that it's changing the way people mm-hmm. think about managing and leading. Mm-hmm. And people are not just buying it for themselves. They're buying it for every member of their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm loving hearing the stories of how people have um, articulated something better with a you know better narrative to the, for themselves mm-hmm. and a better conversation with their people and that's my legacy if if I can make a difference that way then it it makes meaning mm-hmm. for what I've done with my life right I love it I love it well you know we'll have a, a link to the the book in the the show notes and and obviously you've got all that information on your website Andrew as I said this has been a great conversation and one that I think must be had repeatedly um, because. You know, whether we're physically in an office, whether we're remote, whether we're working with volunteers, all those things, you know, leadership is what's going to to make them successful. Um, you know, and and so I love talking about this. So I can't wait to have you on again. Until then, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave everyone with? Yeah, I, I never plan this. I always hope it comes to me at the end of um the session, right? Mm-hmm. So 
you know, the maxim is you, know, you can't lead others unless you first lead yourself. That That's the key to self-leadership. But I, and I've been talking a lot today with you about conversations. And I think there's a conversation we all should be having with somebody that we're not having. And as you reflect at the end of this, what's the conversation you need to have with somebody that you haven't had? Because if you go and do that this week, it'll change your life. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. So much fun. I always love the final thoughts. Those are, you know, always such pearls of wisdom. Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely delightful conversation all the way from Portugal. Love technology, right? Um, With Andrew Bryant. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.